It's um, so good to be here at the Wilmington campus. Um, as Pastor Jeff said, I'm one of the pastors of our church. You may have been here last fall when the church was calling me again to be a, a pastor. And it's been a joy for me and my family just to step back into pastoring for the last six months or so. And it's, it's been a blessing um, because in, in large part because of um, just how great and caring this church is to me and my family, and that extends to this campus in Wilmington. So I'm just grateful to be here with you and to open up the word together. I'm really looking forward to it and, uh, and celebrating the Lord's Supper together at the end of the service. I think it's going to be a good day. We're in a series called Living Sacrifice, or Living Sacrifices, that started last week. Is that right? Am I in the right spot? Okay, that's good. And uh, Pastor Jeff opened up the series last week talking about what it means to be a living sacrifice and how um, we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not conformed to this world any longer, and that God has given us these gifts of his grace that we should use them. That's what scripture says. Um, So we're continuing in that passage today in Romans chapter 12. Before we jump there, though, I want to ask you a question at the beginning, just a fun little uh, train of thought maybe for your mind. Imagine that you were asked to uh, create and plan a TV show about your life, and you were the central character. Now, maybe you don't think that your life is maybe worth a TV show, or maybe it's not going to be interesting enough to, um, to carry the weight of a TV show, but just, just go with me. Um, imagine that you had to design a TV show around your life, and you had to decide who would the main characters be, who would be the characters in your life, maybe um, probably obviously your family members, your sibling or your parents, or the people that are closest to you, maybe a best friend. Maybe you have a group of friends that you've um, grown up with, And this group would show up in the TV show periodically just to demonstrate who you were. Um, Now, just imagine kind of sitting there and interviewing these people that would act out your life and they would act out the important people in your life. I think it would be awkward but maybe kind of fun to see, okay, who could rise to the occasion? And what's unique about one of my friends that I want this character to come alive with? Um, now, you may be thinking, okay, didn't somebody do this? Yeah, Seinfeld did this. It was one of the, a great show from, from the 80s and 90s um, and the 2000s, I guess, also. But um, now, imagine just thinking about it. What would be important if the purpose of the TV show was to communicate who you are and your personality? What would be important to sort of draw to the surface? Now, for even a little further twist, what if the, the whole purpose of the show was to communicate and to reveal, um, maybe in a satirical way or a funny way, it was to reveal your faith. That was the underlying theme of the show, was to reveal your faith. If you have a faith in Christ, a faith in God, what if the whole purpose of the show was to, in interesting and intricate ways, to, to reveal that through the, through the TV show? I think um, if you think about it, it's kind of maybe difficult to communicate our Christian faith holistically. 
Think about the ways that people know that you're a Christian if you claim to be one in your life. Um, we have words. Words are important. What we say is important. Um, Facebook statuses matter because there are words, and they can lead people in different directions. We have our actions. People watch how we act, right? Relationships, we talked about that earlier this morning, that in the context of relationship through a series of encounters, people learn about you and they learn what you believe. Friendship is a great one. After years of loyal friendship, um, someone who's far from God can be brought near through that, that deep friendship. Consistency is important, right? Things have to line up over time. Trials. Even a small encounter at work where we face a frustrating situation, we react maybe in anger. That, that tells something about what we believe. Or maybe it's more significant, a more significant trial, the loss of a loved one or a sickness. It's in these times that, that our faith is seen. Seasons of life. Over the seasons of life, we have the opportunity to communicate something over time differently. Maybe it's causes that we identify with, um, who we're employed by, or, you know, I'm a pastor, or the things that we associate with in this culture can kind of support our faith in ways. Our church, I go to Sycamore Hill Church, and that can be one of the ways that we identify our faith with the people around us. Um, Our families, maybe someone would say, well, my faith has been passed down for several generations, and I'm carrying on this faith um, that's been passed down in my family. Others might say, well, I'm actually the first one in my family to believe, and that has its own power and uniqueness. Observation is another one. People may observing you, may be observing you all day long and making little decisions about what you believe and how you act. I think there's a perceived challenge that we all face. Like, how do we communicate all the intricacies and, and the essence of our faith um, on the exterior? I think ultimately we all hope that at the end of the day, the essence of our faith matches up with the external. Like, what's on, what's on the inside matches the expression of our lives, right? Well, today's passage um, gives us a list. It's actually a recipe on the mark of a true Christian. And you can turn there to Romans chapter 12. We're picking it up really where things were left off last week. And I want to spend some time on the first sentence, more, more time than the rest of the passage, actually. So we'll, we'll live in this first sentence for a little bit. It says, let love be genuine. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 9. So Paul's already talked about, like I said, being a living sacrifice, um, being tr- um, transformed by the renewing of your mind. These gifts of grace have been extended to the church, and this charge now use them with the measure of faith that's been given to you. But now Paul makes a change, and he, he goes into a list, and he begins this list with a statement, let love be genuine. Um, when I was a kid, I had this record, 
records, you know, record players. They're kind of back now, so kids actually know what record players are again. There was a little window in time, I think, like maybe in the late 90s, early 2000s, that kids had no clue what a record was. Um, I think they're more common now, ironically. But um, I had a record, this was in the 70s, the mid-70s, and it was called Bullfrogs and Butterflies. Yeah, and Bullfrogs and Butterflies was a record that would tell these stories of agape land. I heard someone mentioning creation this morning, agape farm. Um, Agape land was the the wonder land of love where um, these stories would come to life. It kind of had that 70s vibe on the music, and it was just, it was great. I mean, it's still worth listening to if you can find it. I think it's on YouTube. And, um, but this word here, love, is agape. It's the Greek word for love, agape. You've probably heard this before. I think it's worth noting um, the different words for love in the Greek. There's, there's a few. There's phileo, which is where we get the word Philadelphia. He'll actually use that later in the passage. Phileo is friendship or just this mutual fondness or affection that we feel for one another. There's storge, which is this natural responsibility that we feel in the context of love. So, you know, you'll hear how people say, I love my pet. And we may minimize that sometimes, but, but what they're expressing is that they love their dog or their cat with a responsibility to care for it, to, to protect it, to feed it, to nurture it. To, um, and there's, there is actually storge love being expressed, even to an animal, when we have that responsibility to care for it. That's storge love. There's eros love, which is erotic love or the love of passion. It seizes and absorbs itself into our mind. It, at its essence, is self-satisfaction. It's named after a Greek goddess. Ironically, this is kind of cool, a little factoid. Um, eros is not in the New Testament. The word eros is not in the New Testament. The most common Greek word for love in the Bible is agape. But it's not used haphazardly or without thought. Um, but it, it is used often because it describes God's love. Agape love is unconditional love. Agape isn't based in merit, like we don't deserve it, um, but yet it extends to us even when we're unresponsive or unloving in our response to it or unkind or unlovable. Agape love continues to love regardless. It's unconditional. The word agape appears over 300 times in the New Testament. So isn't that cool? Eros, no, no attention to that. But agape love, it gets described in its fullness. So Paul uses it here. He says, let agape be genuine. But he's building on an argument. I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 5 because um, we can't really understand this sentence until we look at this. So I'm looking at Romans chapter 5, which should be a few pages back in your Bible if you have one. This is Romans chapter 5. I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. It says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love, God's agape, has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. So God's agape love has been, look at that picture. It's poured into you by the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, While we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then he does this comparable. For one will scarcely die for 
a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love, his agape. While we were still enemies, sinners, he died for us. Christ died for us. And so we have really the whole picture of the Trinity there. You have God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son sending and pouring in their agape love into the people of God. And then turn back to Romans chapter 12, where we just were. Paul says, let agape be. And this is the first time in his argument that he's saying, this love that you've received from God, now it's time to let it be. Let it be active. It's this activity to let it flow out. And then he says, let it be genuine. The word genuine here is, it actually is like a, it's a, it's a, a not, it's a negative. It's like to not be hypocritical is literally what it means. Um, the word hypocrite was, is, a, is also, comes from a Greek word. To be a hypocrite was to be a play actor in Greek culture. So um, Paul is saying, let agape be not hypocritical. It's kind of an interesting way to think about it. He's saying, this love that's been poured into you, you're, you're, you're allowed to let it come to life, but you're not a play actor when you um, express it to the world. So there's, he's saying in this one sentence, he's kind of setting up the rest of the list as sort of this foundational idea and I would say, when you think of the mark of a true Christian, the primary mark is love. I mean, this is, this is the essence of um, us communicating our faith, is that it, it's actually transferring the love of God, the agape love of God to others. So a shift has to take place. I was thinking about this, and just think about your own life. Bring that TV show back to your head, or just even the way that you express your life. Um, we all go through seasons of receiving and then giving, right? So I was thinking about different ways that this shows up in our life. At times, we're gathering in, just taking it in. Other times, we're giving away, right? Times in life, we're consuming. We just need to be poured into. Other times, we're producing we're being poured into or we're being poured out. We're, we're feeling. Sometimes we reach up and we f- to feel the love of God. Other times we touch and we extend the love of God. Sometimes we're just taking it in. Other times we're giving. Like a child, like I said, reaches up for help. Other times we reach out to extend help. At times we're like an infant that's nursing with its mother. At times we're, we're like a mother who's feeding a child. Uh, we can devour the word. We can eat it up or we can plant and sow. We can eat a meal. We can just take it in. Or we can prepare a meal for others. We can dwell within a sanctuary or a shelter. Or we can build a shelter and extend out the house of God to new places. This first sentence, let love be genuine, 
for it to be true in your life, um, there's this foundational, I know we'd all agree to this, that you can't transfer what you haven't already received deeply. So I would like to encourage you and remind you and challenge you to think about the love of God. Has it been, have you, have you opened wide and consumed that love for all that it is? I think there's little parts of us that struggle accepting the love of God that we don't, we don't feel that we even deserve it. But, but as we even heard during worship, it's, it's not something that we de- deserve, but it is something that we should embrace and we should take in. And the mark of a true Christian is not um, acting it out as if we don't know what it is, but it's actually taking it in deeply and then transferring it, the love of God. So that's, that's all in one sentence. We'll go a little bit quicker. I wanted to lay that out as foundational and just remind you that, that you don't create love. God is love. He defines love. He divine, defines agape love. For a while, they thought the Greek word agape was only a biblical word. Now there's some, maybe some thought that it did exist in Greek culture. But it was definitely rooted in an understanding of who God is. This is the kind of love that God is about. He defines it. And we get to experience it. So we're going to jump into this list now. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So, okay, just awaken to what's happening here. Paul says, okay, if you want to be marked as a true Christian, let your love by be genuine. Hate what is evil. The first thing that he says to do to express your love, is to hate something. And, and I think what's happening here is that um, we're going to go into a list. Paul bookends it with evil and good. And he, he puts love above that, and then he bookends it with um, the true lover of God has a hatred of evil. And, and what he's really saying is that we should be glued to good. That's what it says, hold fast to good that we should be so attached to the goodness of God that we, the opposite is, is a hatred for evil. This is interesting because when we get so comfortable with the love of God, we, um, we kind of like grow a little bit neutral to evil. We just, it's, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I have the love of God in my life. I really don't care what happens in the world. I mean, it doesn't affect me. That's how I feel sometimes. And yet he's saying, Paul's saying, true love actually hates evil. Um, Origen, one of the early church fathers, <laughs> said, um, you hate the sin and love the sinner. Now that phrase is kind of, it's been exploded so that we can barely use it now because it has so many layers of meaning in our culture. But yet what's happening here is that um, we should have a hatred of evil. He'll get, get further into that. But then there's this list, okay? So let me read it. In verse 10, I'm going to read the first half of the list. This is primarily to the church. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints 
and seek to show hospitality. Now, whenever there's a list in Scripture, it's helpful to um, know why the list is there. Lists are um, they're a recipe. They are a framework. They're painting a picture. Um, to let love be genuine is such a big statement. Paul's now ex- describing what it should look like. And this is a little bit different than the gifts of grace that we talked about last week in the sense that at some level, every believer should express um, this love. And it's really um, within the church. This brotherly affection is where we get the word Philadelphia. It's literally Philadelphia, which is a Greek word. So Philadelphia, as we know, is the city of brotherly love, right? We think that's kind of ironic as kind of a, a, suburb, a suburb of Philadelphia. And yet, um, that's what the word means. It means brotherly love, sisterly love, family love. The love within the church should look like a family. You know how when you see a family and you see them interact, you can tell the culture of a family just by the way they treat one another. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, let the love be brotherly, sisterly. Um, He talks about this love being enthusiastic. It should be fervent. You should, if there's any competition in the church, you should outdo one another by showing honor. That's, that's the competition we should be in, not this kind of worldly competition. And um, he speaks in these little triad, like triad phrases in verse 12. Verse 12 describes the seasons of the church. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Throughout all the ups and downs of church life, we should, um, that's what it should look like. There's this constant nature of, of seasoning everything in prayer, being, having times of hope and rejoicing, times of challenge and tribulation that we should be patient in. Now, whenever there's a list in Scripture, as I said, it's painting a picture, and it's also, um, you could dive deep on any one of these topics for, for an hour, but the, the purpose is to just put it out there, to, to frame it out so that we can then um, encapsulate it. And there's freedom in how each of these is, is expressed. Okay, be constant in prayer. Pray without ceasing. That could be talked about um, all week long. We could talk about that. But he's just framing out what, what authentic love looks like in the life of the church. Love the way that we care for one another in hospitality and generosity for the saints. Um, I was thinking about hospitality a little bit. Um, we have Airbnb. Has anyone ever used that? Yeah, okay. So Airbnb is interesting. It's, um, you actually can stay in someone's house. Now you pay, but it's, it's different than going to a hotel because you're, someone's opening up their home, maybe a room in their home, or maybe they have an apartment that that they'll just rent out when anybody's coming through their city. And um, staying in someone's house is different than staying in a hotel. You look at the bedside table and you see the books they read or, you know, you open up their cabinet and it's, you know, all their business is there. I think hospitality, I heard a a great definition not long ago. Um, Hospitality is creating free or neutral space that is, is around you and inviting the stranger into it and allowing them to be comfortable enough to ask questions on who they are 
That's, that's hosting someone so that, that you can lead them to God, you know. And this is something that the church should be doing. So there's that, that list for the church, and then he goes into this list for the world, the mark of the true Christian in the world. We'll read the rest of the chapter here, beginning in verse 14. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, the opposite should be true in your life. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a distinction now Paul makes As the love of the Christian goes outside the church, there's some distinctions that need to be made. In some areas, we align with the world, but in other areas, we're not aligned. But look at at how we should be aligned. Rejoice with those who rejoice. When a child is born, this is worth rejoicing over. When a child grows up and they're an adult and they get married, that's worth rejoicing over. As families have um, times of growth and success and joy in their life, it's okay for the Christian lover to come alongside them and have solidarity in their rejoicing or to weep with those who weep. If the church would come alongside the world and weep better alongside them, um, that's, what, that's what Christian love is. But then there's a distinction. So rejoicing should be met with rejoicing, weeping met with weeping. Persecution should be met with blessing. You see how he's making that distinction? So as you go out into the world and as you uh, express love to the world, there's times when you align and times when you make a distinction. But the distinction is, is an odd one. When you're pressed up against uh, something and the world uh, persecutes you, you respond with kindness. Earlier, Paul said, church, don't you remember? It's actually God's kindness that leads you to him, not his wrath. And have you so quickly forgotten the kindness that you received that you would now be unkind in the world? But what is Paul saying with these burning coals? This is... Um, it, it's it's uh, what he's saying is, is quoted right from Proverbs, actually. Well, first he quotes Moses. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That is from Deuteronomy when Moses um, gave one of his last songs to the people of Israel. It's a reminder that the wrath of God that comes to the world is, is from God. That's not necessarily um, our role in dishing out. In Romans chapter 2, it says there's one judge, and we're not it. It's God. There's one judge. It's God. 
And Jesus Christ actually judges the secrets of the hearts of mankind. So us, as the believers, we're not the judge. In fact, when um, we find ourselves in a place where we feel like revenge is the right answer, we're actually called to respond in kindness. He quotes Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, he quotes Proverbs 25, where he says, you, you might think he'd be quoting Jesus here. These sounds like Jesus' words. Jesus did speak about this, but it actually originally comes from Proverbs 25. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, there's a lot of thought on this passage and what it means. Um, I think foundationally, there's two things we can say. It's First, what I already said is that God is the judge. Heaping coals on the head appears throughout the Old Testament, and it always represents God's judgment. Um, now, there may be an indication that when we respond to um, persecution or evil in this world with kindness, that it actually awakens um, a spirit of repentance. It's like, you know how um, when people are angry in the world and they're just, they're just angry, and we, we've, we've been there too, right? Come on. And you're just angry and you act angry with someone and they respond with kindness, it actually awakens you. You're like, wow, I was not expecting that. In fact, I was kind of ready for some more anger because it's just going to fuel me right now. And when someone responds um, to anger with kindness, it's, it's, like, it's like someone put burning coals on your mind. You don't, it, it, it just, you don't know what to do with it. Um, so there may be indication here that um, we have such a power in the love of God to awaken the world to the evil around us that, that this is the response. And it's bookended with this idea, don't overcome evil with evil, overcome evil with good. And as we look at the Lord's Supper in closing, I, I just want to encourage you individually that... Um, you are, if you have the love of God in you, the agape love of God has been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. It's there. It's this unending source of love. I love Psalm 42, 7, as deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall, all your waves come crashing over me. There's a sense in the Spirit that, that the love of God is, is unending, and it is. Um, but I want to encourage you and remind you that you're not a play actor as you live out your Christian faith. You're not on a stage acting out the love of God. You're actually transferring this love genuinely in your life. I want to read this little passage again, not the whole thing, but verses 9 through 13. And as I read it, to slow down a little bit, I want you to take one of these ideas the, the one that sticks to you right now, and just, just walk with it this week. Okay, so have a pen or whatever, or if you can remember in your mind, um, remember this throughout this week. Just, just write down out of this list what, what you feel needs more attention in your life. 
Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. I'm going to pray for us as we turn to the Lord's Supper and invite the worship team and those serving to come forward. Um, Before I pray, the Lord's Supper is um, one of the ordinances of the church. It's one of the things that we celebrate. It speaks to the new covenant in the blood of Christ and the love of Christ. His love has been poured out on the cross for each one of us. So I invite you, if you are a believer in Jesus, to partake in this supper as the church. It's a reminder of how we belong to one another and how we've been called out um, as God's children. If you are unsure of your faith in Jesus, you're not sure if you would confess yourself as a uh, believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I'd encourage you just to, to be with us, be with the church in this, and let the elements pass. But use this opportunity um, to allow God to speak to you and call you to himself. So allow me to pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for your love, how it has been poured into each one of us through your Holy Spirit. And for those here, Lord, that have maybe struggled receiving that love or have yet to receive it, God, I pray for an openness in their heart to receive your love, to accept it, to acknowledge that um, they are unloving and unable to love without you first loving them. And Lord, as we um, come to this table, God, I pray that your spirit would continue to um, guide your church, Lord, in all the ways that we are active in our love. God, I pray that none of us would be acting out something that's not already true in our hearts, down from the smallest child here that believes all the way up to um, the mature in the faith that are among us. Lord, we love you, and we love um, the fact that you care for us through these elements. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.